Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode 17 with Alyssa Fisher-Harris. Alyssa is a partner and chief impact officer of Fifth Element Group, the creator of World on Purpose podcast, and is a keynote speaker. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Alyssa. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode 17 of Happiness 2.02 podcast with Alyssa Fisher-Harris. Alyssa, time is a finite resource. Underline everything that you do across your life, your leadership, your podcast, your speaking engagements. Why do you do what you do? Ultimately, what drives you at your core? That's a very multifaceted question, John. First of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm delighted and thrilled to support you and very excited about the uh, the theme of your show. I think it's very relevant to what I do for a living. Um, why do I do what I do? Uh, I do everything I do around purpose and the intersection of purpose and well-being because I believe that when we are able to find our purpose and to find the reason why we feel we exist in this world, and that doesn't mean what we do for a living or you know, our daily things. It's, it's the thing that drives us to want to do uh, good for humanity, both for our own, you know, sense of accomplishment and feeling good about it. And also to really, you know, make an, a tangible impact for other people. I do what I do around that because I feel that it it is the most paramount thing to really being able to lift your spirit, your heart, your soul, your, your level of happiness and um, translates tangibly to also measurable success, in my opinion. Fantastic. And do you remember early on, uh, maybe it be elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, re- where you really decided that you really wanted to start kind of pursuing your, your purpose and well-being and started kind of conceiving these ideas that you're ultimately doing as, as a career at this point in time? Uh, do you remember a point in time or an influence uh, that you could share with the audience? You know, I, there were several, um, I know you and I spoke a little bit prior to this and you know, quite a bit about my, my upbringing and my background. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I grew up homeless on and off for about 13 years, um, total inconsistent childhood feast or famine, uh, apartment here and there. Then we were back to living in the car because my mother was, um, schizophrenic, uh, and my father was doing his best to cope by, you know, drinking, um, and doing drugs. So, it was um, something that was just a place where I found my worth. I was always trying to help other kids and other people, even when I knew I was the one who needed help. So whether it was giving part of my, you know, the only sandwich I had away to somebody, or I remember a very specific moment, I think it was in third grade where this young girl was, um, you know, just like me was being abused at home and she, she wanted to end her life and she was so little and I knew how that felt, but I knew that there was a reason somehow that we were all going through that. And I remember sitting on top of the the jungle gym at school mm. and we were having a conversation and I literally talked her out of it because I said, your life matters. 
and there's a reason that you're here and you need to, you know, get through this. It's going to be hard, but you can. And I think that moment stuck with me pretty much my whole life. And, and so in terms of this journey, uh, you really had some moments in time where um, either through your own personal experiences or through seeing uh, through the lens of other people and, and having uh, moments where you know, people are almost at their end. Uh, so in, in with those experiences, um, what did you find that, uh, uh, that you started uh, learning about yourself at that point in time? Uh, maybe a greater resilience or just seeing that, you know, that other people even have it worse than you. It sounds like you had it incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, but uh, what are some of the things that evolved in terms of your own personal journey as a, as a result of these experiences? Yes. I, you know, it's funny. I recently gave an interview about this and I talked about how when you go through adversity and if you're unfortunately someone who's had just one adverse incident after another, after another, after another, at some point it kind of erodes um, your sense of safety, your sense of self and your um, ability to not feel like you're somehow broken in some way or damaged. And so it takes a lot to really find ways and tools and things to help you pull yourself out of that thought process in order to, to know that you are a resilient person and each version of yourself that comes out of those experiences is a better version of yourself. If that makes sense. Yep. It makes a ton of sense. And, and you said that uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you just said that uh, uh, you almost had so many experiences or people can go through so many experiences where they just, assume that becomes the norm. And it's almost, there's a point in time where it's like, you know, you just assume that's daily life and you're not broken. This is the way the kind of the world works. Uh, and it sounds like that was a shift, uh, you know, which I thought was fascinating the way that you described it is that you, you got to a point in time that uh, you realized that, oh, I, maybe I'm not broken because this is the, the way things are. But all of a sudden you start, you know, through, you know, connections that you had or tools that you started having available to you, you started seeing that there's a different way. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. No, no, you're definitely right. Um, you know, I don't know if you've probably heard the the term, you know, fearing that the other shoe is going to fall. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us who go through adversity have that, especially if you've had it happen multiple times and you can't help but feel like, oh my God, that shoe, even when something good happens, I'm sure that shoe is going to drop and you're so scared that something's going to happen because it historically has. But at some point you have to realize that living in fear of that shoe falling is far more detrimental to your state of well-being, your mental health, your happiness than it is to just letting the experience happen if it's going to happen. I mean, we can't control what happens to us. We can only control how we react to it. So finding ways to give yourself tools to navigate when that shoe does fall um, if it does, again, you know, the things we've talked about before, like meditation and exercise and self-development and yoga, you know, has been something that I have been doing for 30 years, as well as, you know, uh, different types of exercises for your mental health, for going to different inner child workshops, you know, various things. There's a lot of tools now. There are way more tools now than there were when I was younger and trying to figure this out. But knowing that you have the power to do that so that you can stop fearing that shoe falling and let that control your daily existence is really important. Thank you so much for sharing. And you talked about that shoe dropping. If you don't mind me just asking just a little bit further, uh, where, what, were, what were some of the earliest things that you found that North Star where you're just, now you can grab on, this is the direction I'm heading. Because uh, when you're in that pattern, which is 
incredibly hard. And, and I know there's listeners out there that they're in that right now. And they know that there's something not right. Just they intuitively know. They know at their their core. But, uh, you know, to find that North Star where they actually start looking in a direct different direction. Uh, do you remember any of those kind of pivotal moments in time where, um, you know, really that knowing inside you um, or a combination of knowing and reading a book that really started providing extra clarity for yourself? So just to give you some idea in, in a nutshell, and it's, it's really hard to encapsulate all of this in a very short period of time, but I'll do my best. Growing up homeless as a kid, 13 years, mom, schizophrenia, very abusive, my father, the way it was, I ended up having to leave and get out of that situation at 13, um, mm. was, was blessed to have been taken in by my aunt, uncle, who gave me a, basically a second lease on life. But I definitely struggled inside, you know, with self-worth and, and coming from where I came from and feeling bad for leaving my family, knowing that that was my only chance to have a, a life. And then in, in the middle of all of that, you know, I was finally living like a normal kid, but um, coming into my college years, I was uh, unfortunately um, subjected to sexual assault. Mm. And then I got very sick in my 20s. Uh, on top of that, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I was the sickest, the heaviest, the unhealthiest I'd ever been. I was putting myself totally through school you know, many, many jobs, 19 units. And they basically said, we don't know what's wrong with you. It's in your head, go away. And I was uh, experienced with holistic medicine, told me that I had um, allergies to gluten and dairy products before that was ever a thing. That was 30 years ago. Mm. Uh, changed my life, got on a holistic path, really started getting physically healthier. Um, meanwhile, um, I had had a lot of memories come up and I had a boyfriend at the time who was also having memories about sexual abuse and different things that had happened. And so we both started going to therapy. And that was my first experience with a therapist, which was extremely helpful because it really helped me navigate all of the pain that I'd carried from my childhood into my early adulthood. Um, that was a kind of setting the trajectory. And that was the early kind of adult onset experiences and new information around the self-development movement, like Wayne Dyer and Carolyn Mace and Marianne Williamson, all these incredible uh, people that were, uh, Louise Hay, that were getting us information around how we could heal ourselves, uh, heal our hearts, et cetera. Um, and so I started reading all of those voraciously, not knowing that it would set me up for um, two really very painful experiences that would happen in my early 30s, which was losing two um, husbands to the same rare cancer that only affects 10,000 people a year. In wow. The yeah. <laughs> Woe is right. So, you know, went through that and I lost them both by the time I was 34 and um, then had a bunch of other experiences since then to now, which which was a bunch of other things, financial distress. And then I had a very severe uh, last two years where my own reigniting of a health crisis due to toxic mold poisoning and something that I, I mean I knew about because that's how my mother died and I happened to get it and it was really hard so in between a lot of other things happened but all of that all of that I still chose the path of trying to find things that would help me pull myself out of those dark places and you know things like one of my favorites is the happiness advantage uh, book by Sean Acor, where they have the 21 day happiness advantage to reprogram your brain towards happiness. I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Yep, certainly. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I did everything. I, I incorporated, um, you know, all kinds of healing methods, but also doing stuff to help others really, really fueled my soul, volunteering at a homeless shelter, helping kids, 
you know, that from Boys and Girls Club, disenfranchised, you know, communities, doing whatever I could to help give back and lift humanity was something that extremely helped me heal my my heart and my soul because I didn't feel like I was the only one in this. Whenever you put yourself in a place where you see others suffering, it puts it into perspective that, you know, you're not alone in this. And sometimes people have it a lot worse than you, which doesn't take away what you've experienced, but it just helps give you some understanding of where you are. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that story. And you kind of talked about uh, these experiences where you're, you know, you're in a situation, you're volunteering, you're, you're giving back. Uh, imagine that, uh, you know, there's a trend of sense of peace that, that comes with it. Uh, and I know that uh, you work across some extraordinary initiatives uh, in terms of uh, uh, your career. Uh, can you describe to the audience that now that you've come across this amazing journey where, you know, for 13 years, you're, you know, essentially homeless and going through, you know, shifting, uh, you know, kind of who's watching over you in terms of family member, uh, you know, going through some incredibly uh, you know, dark spots in terms of uh, seeing two husbands pass away in a very short period of time. And then, you know, really on this amazing journey where uh, you're really coming into your own and, uh, you know, finding these ways to give back that uh, really amplifies, your, I guess, your internal, own internal message, uh, but really getting into states where now this allows to open up another aspect of yourself, another aspect of your being in terms of creativity and, and flow state. And uh, uh, if you could describe to the audience, uh, you know, some of the things that you do, it might include uh, volunteering that really gets you to those pinnacle states, uh, those float states or experiencing flow? Sure. So I'm really lucky that I get to do this as a day job every day in my company. I'm a partner and I'm the chief impact officer and a partner in an amazing impact consultancy called Fifth Element Group. And um, so we get to be part of initiatives that we create. We create strategies um, that are impact strategies that help create a greater ROI and unlock funding towards the cause that a lot of brands care about. So from a professional side, we've been involved in amazing initiatives where we've raised money for free the free Yazidi organization in Iraq. We've um, been able to build water reclamation projects and amazing things through Charity Water in Africa. We've been able to bring funding towards... Um, uh, we were involved with Some Good News Network with John Krasinski that created it towards the pandemic, and we were able to put them over the top with uh, incredible funding for Guy Fiore's Restaurant Relief Fund and um, Starbucks um, and, and uh, a lot of really cool things that we've been able to do. So that's from the professional side. I get to do that every day, and it's it's a gift, and we're always involved with some really amazing things, and I have incredible partners that have incredible skill sets and, and experience from various sectors and geographies. So that's exciting. And we work a lot with, with things, uh, with organizations like the United Nations, State Department, mm -hmm. Nobel Peace Prize. So from a professional side, that's kind of an idea of what I do. But on a personal note, um, I still do a lot of my own work. And a lot of it is, is around hunger, poverty, homelessness, and gender equity. So I was in, I've been involved with the National Women's History Museum um, on the president's council for the last nine years, I've helped raise a tremendous amount of money and support for that organization, at, which is looking to build the first ever brick and mortar National Women's History Museum in the world. Uh, mm. to, to date, there is not a single National Women's History Museum in any country in the world. So it wow. will be the first. Yeah, it's very exciting. And in Washington, D.C., and we were we were starting our capital campaign for that building this year and then COVID broke out. So we've 
interestingly, I'd love your audience to know we've pivoted, which is great, um, to a digital learning platform because we spent the last 26 years building the largest online museum for women's history that is used by educators all over the world. And um, we have about 3 million uh, museum visitors to the website a year. So that information is there. And at some point we will be um, excited to start a, a building capital campaign once we're out of, uh, uh, out of our pandemic issue. Um, but another one that is very near and dear to me is a, is a local organization that I'm on the board of, and it's called Community Healing Gardens. One of the, one of the lar- biggest issues we have in this country is hunger and poverty in communities that really are, are invisible to the larger population, and they're really forgotten. And a lot of kids are going to school hungry if there are support systems that are helping give them food or lunches, they're typically not the most nutritious. They don't have an education about vegetables and even know how to cook vegetables in some of these communities. And so um, I always have this phrase where I talk about how organizations that help feed people, you can feed them, but they can still be starving because they're not getting the proper nutrients that they need from fruits and vegetables. Like I grew up that way, literally living on canned food, spam, canned beans, Wonder Bread, uh, and it gave me a, a really horrible uh, nutritional foundation, which I'm sure is why I, I developed some of the health issues that I had later. So Community Healing Gardens is, is an incredible organization. We're coming up on our five-year anniversary in October 2020. Um, we've given away approximately 10 to 15,000 pounds of food a year. And we have two, two garden projects in the city of Los Angeles, one in Venice, California, and one that is um, on the school grounds of the only public middle school in the community of Watts, California. And it's a one acre garden project that is also part of the school curriculum um, at Markham Middle School. And it's just the most incredible program. And my very, very, very best friend was brilliant at starting this organization, bootstrapped it like crazy. And uh, myself and the board have been able to be involved and instrumental in bringing fresh fruits and vegetables to a community that it's literally in the middle of a food desert where there isn't a single grocery store within a mile radius uh, for these folks. Wow. And I love the way that you described it too as well, that uh, you've actually been able to incorporate it into the curriculum. So not only are students, I imagine, students and educators, uh, you know, being involved in teaching about what they're about to do, then they actually go out and get to experience uh, what they've uh, kind of taught about in the classroom and see it firsthand. They do. It's really fun to watch these kids come out. Um, <clears throat> we have this little phrase that we say, if you can seed it, you can eat it. And they get to come and experience the food of uh, with our teachers. Um, it's, a, it's an elective class. And they get to learn how to not only just plant it, but they get to learn how to grow, cultivate it, sell it. You know, we have uh, financial literacy as part of the program. We make sure that they understand you know, what it takes to keep the soil healthy and water and all of the um, sustainability issues that we teach. And these kids love our garden. It's the one place in a community that doesn't have, um, it's one place in a community that sometimes struggles with, you know, kids feeling safe to go across the street to play with their friends. They don't feel that way in the garden. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then in Venice, we have about 60 garden boxes that our founder, uh, co-founders just decided what unites people is food. And they just started building garden boxes on the medians uh, spots on the uh, sidewalks in Venice. And we literally, it's free for the community. We have volunteer days, we plant it, they harvest it, um, and everyone gets to come out and kind of be together in a community where they can 
both cultivate and eat the food that's growing right in the neighborhood and, and bringing everyone together. Yeah, that's beautiful, incredible. And Thank when you. you're when you're in these states uh, or when you're working on these initiatives, uh, can you describe to the audience kind of what it feels like in terms of your breathing or your creativity when you're working on these incredibly incredibly beautiful initiatives that are directly impacting people's lives in terms of how you breathe or you know just your 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 kind of your creative state. I'd love to hear more about that. Absolutely. So you know this, obviously, from a scientific perspective, when we do something that brings us joy or makes us feel happy, it releases endorphins. And so it can't help but increase your lung capacity and the oxygen that flows to your brain and just makes you feel like I am walking on a cloud and there's nothing more rewarding or that makes you feel like you can get the greatest amount of oxygen into your heart and soul and your body than knowing you just changed someone's life. I mean, to get a hug from people that were homeless that you helped reintegrate back into society by them being able to get a job through a culinary program or being able to touch, you know, hold people's hands and walk them through, uh, hear them, just to hear them talk about their experience and let them know they're not alone or to be able to see accomplishments that you've been able to do and watch people uh, rise it's absolutely, there's nothing like it. I mean, you could sell a company for a billion dollars, which is fantastic, or you could, you know, make an amazing product. But when you see the look on someone's face mm. that you've really been able to make a difference in their life, it, there is absolutely nothing like it on this earth for me. Absolutely amazing. Uh, just shifting gears just a little bit at this point in time, uh, what are some of the small things that you do to maintain happiness uh, or well-being in your personal life? Life has its ups and downs. And you kind of touched upon a little bit uh, uh, yoga, meditation early on. Uh, but what are some of the, th the small things that you do either to start off your day or to end your day or as part of, you know, during your day, whether it's taking a walk, uh, if you'd share with the audience? Sure. Well, I talk about this a lot when I get interviewed and it's, so people are probably going to get sick of hearing it if they've listened to multiple interviews, but it, it absolutely is paramount as part of my own daily happiness routine is writing my gratitudes and not just saying my gratitudes, but actually writing them down in a book to visually see things that you're grateful for. It, it's, it's really easy to think about the things we don't have in life and to get bogged down with that. And, and it's okay. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with feeling like, Oh, I, I thought I'd be somewhere different at this place in my life, or I wish I had this or whatever. That's, that's fine. We have those feelings and we shouldn't ignore them, but to be able to transform that into a place of thinking, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I think it is writing down the little things to the big things that you're grateful for. Like I live by the beach. I'm very blessed. And I absolutely relish my after work beach side sunset walks. I, I mm. go out for a power walk or a run or whatever it is. And to know that I can take in that fresh air and watch this immense creation of nature, <laughs> the ocean and the sun and the, and, the, and the sky all come together in, in one place. It just is, is fuel to my soul. So writing gratitudes for having that, writing gratitudes for having fresh, clean water to drink or be able to take a shower uh, or be able to have access to healthy food being able to have a roof over my head because I haven't had those things, you know, in my, in my past and the relationships that I have and all of those things. Gratitude is really important. A few other things is it's really important to make sure that it's, it's, it's easy to get kind of myopic in what you're dealing with, especially when crisis is happening. And obviously there's a global crisis happening. 
And I've done it too, where I, I end up caving because it just feels like too much, but to try to make an effort to reach out to people and just with a note, you know, Sean Acor calls it a random act of kindness, you know, just sending a note to somebody saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you and I love you. I hope you're well, you know, even if you can't talk right then in that moment, let them know, but just let them know you're thinking about them is really, really helpful. That's beautiful. And if you could share just a little bit more about the uh, random act of kindness, what are some of the ways that uh, that a person can implement that? Is it through email or is it literally a handwritten note that they pop in the mail? Because uh, even there's something to be said with receiving something tangible because it's becoming more and more extinct these days. Uh, what are some of the ways that uh, you kind of uh, implement the random act of kindness? So random act of kindness to me is something that you do that's the one thing that you do without expecting anyone, anything back. It's great if you get it back, but it could definitely be an email, a text, an instant message, obviously in the digital world, but there's definitely something to be said for getting a written letter these days or a written note. Uh, most people, you know, we've, it's, a, it's a lost art, unfortunately. And I think that there's something really beautiful about that. And uh, even even if you live with somebody and you have a, a, a spouse or a partner or a child, you know, writing them a poem or a little note of love and putting it under their pillow or, you know, doing something like that doesn't necessarily have to be something you mail. But also something that we can do in society is when somebody is in need, being able to rise to that occasion and it doesn't have to be something expensive. And, and right now we're obviously most of us are indoors, but there, there was something that happened a few years ago for me. Um, that was really profound. And it was at my local uh, CVS. And there was a woman outside that was coming up to people and she clearly was was homeless, but she was asking people for money because she needed money for her cancer treatment. And nobody believed her. And so I took her inside to the pharmacy and I asked the pharmacist, is it's this woman needing cancer treatment? And they said, yes, she is. It's, she legitimately needs it, but she doesn't have the money. And I said, how much is it? It was $20. Wow. $20, yeah, for this woman to be able to live. And she, she she said, I didn't mean to be homeless. I lost my job. This is what happened. But nobody's listening to me. And they think I just want money for alcohol or whatever. To be able to see people beyond the veil of judgment and to know, I mean, $20 is a lot. You know, $20 is a lot to all of us, especially right now. But that was a lot to her. And I went to the pharmacist and I paid for her cancer treatment and she and her husband could not have been more grateful. And I didn't know who they were. I didn't know where they went. I didn't know where they ended up, but I knew I did something that could help that lady in that moment. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And that's so powerful because a lot of people, they don't take that extra step and it, it might be a concern, a worry about, you know, whatever's going around, going on in the world today where it's okay. You know, do I even talk to this person? You know, because right now even the air can uh, can be deemed as as dangerous at this stage. But in the past, it's really you know finding those opportunities and going a little bit further and making that decision that can tremendously impact the life of an individual. And you know, taking that step to actually talk to the pharmacist, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And can you share as well, just to to give a sense of the breadth and the the scale of projects that you work on at the the Fifth Element Group, uh, it'd be helpful for the audience just to get a sense, uh, a taste, because you know, working with F you know F five hundred organizations, I, I get some sense that there's a, a remarkable initiatives. But if you could describe to the audience just kind of the scale, you don't have to go into specifics if they're under NDA, etc. But I'd love to hear a little bit more. You know, they're everything from getting a small activation for a um, 
little organization in Africa called Girl Up um, mm. that is doing incredible education for young girls in Africa that through one of our partnerships and one of our clients, the uh, Women Connect for Good organization and the founder, Nancy O'Reilly, um, who is a, a, a expert in gender equity, they activated a, a wonderful little grant for them to be able to uh, get you know, some real accomplishments that they needed done. So that's kind of a smaller scale. A uh, larger scale was, you know, we were really instrumental in being able to help bring significant funding to um, the Restaurant Relief Fund through a project that was going on with John Krasinski's Some Good News and uh, relationships that my, my partners and I have had, in particular, my two partners have had with uh, Fortune 500 companies, were able to put that over the top with a $3 million donation that brought that fund to 20 million, which was was really incredible. Very, very exciting that we were able to help implement and, and facilitate something on, on that kind of a scale, which is is hard to do in a time like this, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And as well, I, I understand that there's a, an additional uh, you know personal passion project that you're working on right now. Uh, and I'd love to hear more about uh, the podcast that you're coming out with. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I am thrilled to be doing this. This is something I've been sitting on for about three years. Um, and I told one of my partners about it before we even became partners. Uh, I got to give a little shout out to my business partner, Ed Martin, who has just been an absolute champion uh, for me. And so when I told him about the idea, he's like, you have to do this. This is just you're meant for this and built for it and you need to do it. So it took, it took a while. It's taken me about a year and a half to finally pull the trigger. And I, um, it's a, it's a podcast and kind of video podcast. So it'll have an audio component and a video YouTube component. And the show is called a world on purpose. Mm. And I call it change, um, engaging stories from change, making heroes living with purpose for purpose and on purpose. And the idea is kind of around um, me coming across so many individuals through my career, my personal life that were what I call really living on purpose, living with intention to do good for humanity. And whether that was, you know, as a straight philanthropist or board member on, an, on a, a company board um, or whether it was actually making your business uh, a mechanism for generating funds towards social cause um, whatever it is, or even just being boots on the ground as a nonprofit that's somewhere that's, you know, delivering actual impact initiatives and results in places that where people desperately need help. I wanted to be a platform that could help bring a voice to those stories and let those people tell what I call their origin story. And additionally, their pivot to purpose, which was that aha moment when they realized that they didn't want to just be about um, a day job or profit. They wanted to leverage their talents and their profit and their skills towards purpose. Thank you so much. Uh, it sounds incredible. Um, and uh, uh, where can people find out more about the podcast and you know, some of these remarkable initiatives that that you have uh, underway currently? Uh, I'd love to you know for the you know for the audience whether it's on LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, you know, where can people find you today? Definitely. So um, Fifth Element Group, you can uh, find our website at www.fifth, and that's a number five, th, dot group, fifthelement.group. Um, my podcast is a worldonpurpose.com. 
And I'm definitely can be found on LinkedIn, uh, Alyssa Fisher Harris um, on LinkedIn, which I'm, I'm sure you'll give a link to, but it's E-L-I-S-S-A Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R Harris. And um, there'll be emails and stuff on, on my LinkedIn for sure. And also to World on Purpose, anyone can email me or through the Fifth Element website. Thank you so much. And do you have any parting words for the audience in terms of this remarkable journey where you have an insight to the world that most you know, most people just don't have that, um, you know, really going through incredibly hard times and now able to be in a position to impact millions of people, uh, billions of people in terms of, uh, you know, the fifth element group, you know, the, the initiatives that you have uh, kind of uh, on the side with the personal pursuits and also, you know, this podcast that you're creating. Do you have any uh, kind of parting words for the audience in terms of really how f- for people to find their own purpose and actually get on that track? rather than living out someone else's life. I, I do. And I thank you for asking that question because I think it's so important. You know, um, especially for a lot of our younger generations now, you know, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than I obviously used to be. Um, I have a pretty big milestone birthday coming up actually this weekend. Um, but it's never too early or too late to tap into finding your purpose. Um you know, they're even finding data now that seniors, when they retire, they get depressed if they don't have something to focus on or younger folks that are just focused so specifically on social media every day and they're caught up in the gyre of social media, they get depressed. And because they think everyone else is living a better life than they are, or you lose your identity if you lose your, if you're not no longer working in your job. So I always say it's never too old, you're never too old or too young to start thinking about what do I want to do in my life that brings me meaning, that brings me a sense of joy, of um, understanding that my contributions to the world can actually have meaning to other people and me? And it, I say this all the time. It does not have to be something on a large scale, creating a giant company. It literally can be going and spending time reading to children or volunteering at a, at a um, senior citizen's home or you know, going and digging in the dirt with your local urban farm, um, helping out building homes for habitat. There's a lot of places where you can do it and understanding how that is going to facilitate just a greater sense of meaning and joy in your life. And we, we need more of that. We need a lot more happiness now than we ever did. And we're responsible for finding it inside ourselves first with things outside ourselves to bring that in. Like others can't make us happy, but doing things with and for others can make us happy. Mm, Beautiful. Alyssa, thank you for your leadership, your podcasts, your speaking engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you're taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.